Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone and welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 320 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me this week, the guru of RedsMinorLeagues.com and RedLegNation.com, my man Doug Gray. How are you today, Doug? I'm pretty good, Chad. How you doing? I'm uh, I'm making it. You know, this is uh, obviously a strange time. Still no baseball, uh, and not that we expect there to be any this week by this week. But you know, just about every night I'm thinking, man, right now. Sometimes I'll even check the uh, the proposed schedule to see who the Reds are supposed to be playing. I think well, I would be I'd be watching the Reds right now, and it's just it's really weird to not have that on at least in the background on all these uh, nights here in in April and kind of sad, huh? It is. Uh, it's it's so strange because especially for people like you and me, like I feel, and I'm sure for all the listeners too, like that's that's what we do. Like it, it may not be necessarily what everybody does specifically, like I do, as you know, a job for a living every day. But we kind of work around, and it's it's just in the background of our lives all of the time that hey, there's a Reds game at seven o'clock tonight. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna you know get home from work, sit down, eat some dinner turn on the Reds game and kind of go about my evening. And, well, that's just sadly not happening right now. <laughs> yeah, it's not. And, and and it's true that, like I said, at the very least, it's on in the background. If I'm doing something else or whatever, it's always on in the background. So uh, I thought what the first thing we talk about here before we get into a little bit of tiny, a tiny amount of baseball news this week, not much, but a little bit. Before we get into that discussion, though, Doug, what have you been watching? Everybody's talking about what they've been watching with any baseball. It's really a strange time to be be watching other things i i have personally been trying to catch up on television that i had been slacking on and uh i've been watching kim's convenience on netflix what, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. what is that i've never even heard of that it, it's a canadian television show uh about a convenience store and the family that owns and operates it uh it's fantastic i love it um it's now got four seasons it's it's an ongoing series so if it's something that you know, maybe you would like to binge watch all the way through. You're not going to get a quote unquote ending because it's still an active series. Um, but there's not exactly a, a full on storyline that's played through the entire thing either. Um, it's a comedy. I, I really enjoy it. It and sounds then, like complete garbage to me. I'm just going to tell you. It sounds well, awful. Well, you're wrong again, Chad. Um, <laughs> Canada has but, provided exactly <laughs> one good thing to this country. One thing. And it's not okay. this show. It's Joey Votto then, right? Correct. That is correct. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm going to disagree with you that there's only been one good thing, <laughs> but uh, I'll accept that Joey Votto is a good thing coming from Thank Canada. You. What else um, you're watching? And then I, I've been catching up on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist um, because I'm a weirdo and that's okay. Is Dave Matthews Band on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist? If they are, I have not come across them yet within the show. But, that'd be, uh, that'd be I mean, the final episode. <laughs> yes, well, you know, <laughs> I guess I guess good for them that they haven't had them on yet. So I guess, you know, I've uh, I have a long-standing history of being anti-television uh, programs. Did you know this? I I, I did not. I thought this was going to be anti-Dave Matthews Band, and I was really kind of <laughs> strapping in for this story. But but continue. Listen, I take the abuse of our viewers every week over uh, my love for Dave Matthews Band. I'm not going to hide from it here. I can't hide from it. But uh, what I, what I am against is, are these uh, television programs. You know, they have these uh, th- programs on on the on the television. Did you know this? I, I was aware. Yes. Yes. Well, there's too many of them, and they require way too much of a time commitment for me. I mean, you can break them up into little smaller chunks, like. Uh, but there's just so many chunks. Yeah, there there are many chunks. Yes, but. I mean, if you've got twenty minutes here, thirty minutes there, you can you, you can make it work. I guess, especially I, especially in times like right now. What else you got to do, Chad? That's it's true. I mean, listen, that's the that's the best argument right now. But I just you know I just I finished finished my wife and I watched uh, the Americans, which frankly was a very very good show for those of you that have seen uh, the Americans. But you know, we started like five years ago, and we literally just got finished because of the quarantine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it. Oh. Now the final it, it, season was really, really good. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we did it, but we, we, you know, you get through season two, and you're like, oh my gosh, we got another 14 seasons to go, or how many ever it was. It's just, it's too much pressure. Yeah, but who's in that show? Um, 
nobody that I can think of. No, nobody you can think of. <laughs> no, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's a good cast. Yeah, is that one of your favorite? Is that one of your favorites? After trying I, to tell me, I'm I'm saying that I, I would watch just about anything with someone that's in that show, including a, a Star Wars movie. She was in one of the Star Wars. I, I mean, I I would watch it, I guess, but uh, I haven't. So that was the so most she, recent Star Wars. Yeah. So, see, well, but see, there, there's my out. If I haven't seen the other ones, I can't watch that one. There you go. Yeah. Well, she, she can't see her face. I guess, I guess she would have been like what two in the first one, so that wouldn't really. Yeah, probably not even that old. So, uh, so I, I do have you know, there's some great shows that I've watched over the course of time, and and I don't really want to start a new one unless it's like a real show. Like you know, I love The Wire and I love Mad Men, and you know, unless you can promise me it's going to be that good, man, I'm not going to dig into six seasons of anything. It's just too much, too much for me. Yeah, there there probably aren't that many shows that have six seasons that can be, you know, told to Chad that hey, they're they're going to be that good. So you know, in, in that scenario, I mean, you probably got what like eight more shows to watch for the rest of your life. That's fine. It's fine by me. Yeah, yeah. Because I've been watching movies, I've seen some really good movies lately. Um, rewatched one of my all-time favorites, Badlands, starring a very young Martin Sheen and an even younger Sissy Spacek. Terrence Malick's first movie, Badlands. Oh my goodness, fantastic. Give me Shelter, Rolling Stones documentary. You know, I was going to go see the Stones this summer. I mean, that, that that sounds like a, a a movie that would be made about right now. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> give me Shelter. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. All right. It's a uh, it was a really good documentary about the Rolling Stones. And what upsets me about the Rolling Stones is that I was finally going to get a chance to see them this summer for the first time ever. And if you'd have told me that there would have been health concerns and that was the reason why we weren't here going to see a Rolling Stones concert, I would have thought very differently. <laughs> I would have thought it was going to be the band, not the audience. You know, so I have watched a couple of television shows. I mentioned on last week's episode that my wife and I, did, we did restart and, but, and there's six seasons of this, but we've already watched them all and we know how great it is. So we don't mind rewatching it. And it's Northern Exposure for the early night, early to mid nineties. I still can't, I still cannot believe that it's not streaming anywhere. It's, that is, it, it's mind boggling. It really is. And we finished the first two seasons now. And let me tell you, it's, I mean, some parts of it are dated, but it's still laugh out loud funny. It's just a smart Smartly written show, and uh, I really like it. So the only other th- other show that I've been watching off and on has been uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Makes are, sense. Are you a fan? I, I am. I it, it, It's something that I'll usually turn on to kind of fall asleep to, and then the next thing I know, it's an hour and ten minutes in. I'm like, this is the worst movie ever, but it's also the best show ever. So It's pretty good. It's fun to watch. And yeah, it's, it, that's one that you can just sort of turn on and, you know. Laugh a little bit and then fall asleep or whatever. All right, enough of that nonsense. Let's talk baseball. Yeah, baseball. <laughs> baseball. Oh, yeah, I got I got excited. It's <laughs> it's it's rough times out there, guys. <laughs> baseball. You know, there have been all these plans thrown out for how to get baseball, and uh, and I don't know what what ultimately the uh, the players, not just the players, but the, all the all the uh, different competing interests around baseball. I don't ultimately know what's going to happen in terms of how the, how it's going to happen if and when we have baseball. But I thought the most recent uh, plan that was kind of leaked out, I don't know if they're leaking these to try to gauge public reaction or what's going on, but R.J. Anderson of CBA, CBS Sports reported that one of the plans was be to have a three-state, play baseball in three different states. How, how did that uh, breakout go, uh, Doug? Because I know you wrote about it at RedLegNation.com. I mean, I, I think that, you know, we at this point we've probably all heard about the the Florida and Arizona plan where the teams would kind of just play out of their spring training facilities. And then, you know, in Arizona, they've got Chase Field. Uh, Over in Florida, they've got, you know, the the dome in Miami. They've got a dome in Tampa or uh, St. Pete, I guess, if you want to be more specific about it. Um, But the the new plan would also have in, they they didn't announce how many teams that there would be, but a third site in Texas. Uh, they would play out of uh, Arlington, where the the Rangers were. Well, they were supposed to open a new stadium this year that has a dome, uh, and they would also have, you know, the ability to travel to Houston and play games there in their dome uh, for when they needed to have domes. Um, so they would have three sites. Now, how that would work out if, say, they kind of had to uh, play those three sites all year, there wasn't really any specific. Uh, breakdown is kind of like how the playoffs would work in, in that kind of scenario because basically you'd have three leagues um so maybe you'd have you know two wild cards or maybe one or two wild cards and somebody gets a, a buy or whatever for the first round of the playoffs and i don't know it's 
it, all of these ideas right now are just kind of things that they've thrown out there just to discuss. Um, nothing is even remotely close to being a, a quote-unquote final plan. Uh, I think that they're just kind of discussing ideas to see what they can come up with just in case there is a scenario that presents itself that, hey, we can go about playing baseball in the future. So, you know, I, I think that I like the idea that they're discussing these things. They're ongoing discussions that are taking place and, and hopefully even behind closed doors come making some decisions like, you know, if we can start by this date, here's the plan we'll use. You know, start start firming up actual plans so they can hit the ground running, uh, you know, do a spring training period again and then and they get into it. I, yeah, I'm interested in how that would work out. We don't know. I, I want to ask you this, Doug, if you had to put a percentage on it, because I have an opinion as well. What's the what's the percentage chance we get Major League Baseball this year? I mean, I'd say like 25%. I, I may be very pessimistic about it, but I, I just don't feel great between what what the players have said about basically, or at least enough of the important players in baseball have said about basically quarantining themselves away uh, from their friends and family for such a long period of time. Uh, I, I don't feel too confident about it. My opinion is this, Doug. Here's my hot take. 100%. 100% guaranteed there's going to be baseball in some form or fashion this year. That's my prediction. Well, that's that's very different than my numbers. So, uh, yeah. I just, I, I can't see, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're starting baseball in other places. And, of course, they're ahead of us uh, in terms of uh, where the quote-unquote curve is in, you know, uh, Korea. And, uh, well, who knows about China. But uh, with Taiwan, though, Taiwan did evidently do a pretty good job. Um with that so they're 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 ahead of us but they're already getting started with their their plans and um i just i can't see with this much uh, money on the table and uh i, I just can't see and the, and the way things are going in america which is not great but uh it's you know the the, the thing is is sort of hitting like some of the models sort of predicted no no single model has ever been correct but uh i don't know I, I don't see any way they go i mean we're talking about all the way uh, you know through the end of, uh, you know, well, if they talked about the season ended in November or something like that, maybe pushing it off. I just don't see them not playing any, even if it's a 30 game season, I think they're going to play some baseball. That's my opinion. Um, I I hope so. I I really do. Cause that, that means a lot of good things are going on that, you know, aren't happening right now. But uh, like I said, I, I, I'm probably just a big, a big pessimist on this one. Well, maybe I'm being overly optimistic. I don't know. And you can, well, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say you're being overly optimistic at 100%. If you had said 90, I'd give you a little bit of wiggle room there. Nah. 100% is basically guaranteeing it, Chad. That's exactly what I'm doing. I am guaranteeing there will be Reds baseball this year. The universe can't do this to Cincinnati. Finally, the Reds and the Bengals both start spending a little money. The Bengals are going to get a big quarterback. I mean... They can't take this away from us. The universe can't be that cruel, can it? Have you been around Cincinnati sports? Of course it can. Yeah, that's a solid point. It's a solid point. What what, what out of Cincinnati sports would, uh, for the last three decades would make me think anything different? <sighs> Let's talk about uh, not the red stockings who we've been talking about, but the red socks. Just very briefly here, Doug. Because, man, Major League Baseball really came down hard on the red socks this week, didn't they? <laughs> they did something. Um <laughs> You know, for for those who who may have missed it, which is understandable, it it seems like Major League Baseball kind of tried to bury this one a little bit. Uh, the Boston Red Sox were punished for their role in uh, stealing signs, much like the Houston Astros uh, got punished uh, back in January for. Except for unlike the Astros, they didn't even really get punished much. Uh, not that I think that the Astros got punished nearly enough, but um, you know the the Red Sox were using cameras during the game to steal signs and relay them to hitters. Sounds a lot like what the Astros did, right? (laughs) Sounds pretty close to it. Well, apparently Major League Baseball wants us to believe that it wasn't quite like that. Um, Apparently because they didn't use it as often and they weren't as successful in using it, um, they got punished way less. They had to give up a second-round draft pick this year, and then the video replay guy was suspended for this year, and next year he's not suspended He's just not allowed to be the video replay guy. That was the extent of their punishments. Yeah, but that now, guy really loved being the video replay guy. And he's had it taken he, away he, from him. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, and here's where it gets even more fun. Alex Cora, who was the manager for the Boston Red Sox during the 2018 season when this took place, was also 
the bench coach for the Houston Astros in 2017 when they were doing all of their trash can banging. Somehow, we're supposed to believe that Alex Cora had no idea that this was going on in Boston. Uh, he was suspended for the 2020 season, but it was very explicitly in the report that it was only because of his role in Houston. Now, he did agree to depart ways with the Boston Red Sox back in January when uh, all the Houston Astros things came out. So he is no longer employed by the Red Sox. But, uh, yeah, I, I really struggle to figure out how I'm supposed to believe that nobody in the entire Red Sox dugout, other than the players and the video guy, knew that they were stealing signs and relaying them in real time. Like, how, how insane do you think that I have to be that they wouldn't – like, how does the manager not understand that there's some guy yelling down the dugout to – our players, what signs coming, and then those guys are relaying it for him to not understand what's going on. Like I just, it, it doesn't pass the sniff test. There's no way he didn't know what was going on. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100. And it's you know, to be even discussing this is kind of right now seems like ugh. it's kind of like you know, uh, in in politics you always hear about the news dump on Friday evening or, or or you know you dump bad news when nobody's paying attention or when something else has taken up all the oxygen in the room. And right now with all this stuff going on right now. I think you're right. Uh, Major League Baseball try to kind of sneak it through because no, who cares at this point? We just want baseball. So and we, people, we do we we do want baseball. You hear that, guys? Can we, yes. Can we, do, we do this. Yes, one hundred percent. Okay. Now we have a couple of uh, topics I wanted to talk about. We got some viewer mail questions, Doug. But first, I want to get into what I think, and I'll tell you why I think it's uh, really fun. But it's a really fun series that you've been doing at RedsMinorLeagues.com, and I want to ask each of you go to RedsMinorLeagues.com. And read uh, this series and everything else uh, Doug's doing over there, even during all this strange time. A lot of good content there and at redlegnation.com. But you've been doing uh, what you've called a uh, farm system season of the decade. And I, I bet you'll know which one. But one of the na- names that you that you did on this uh, farm system season of the decade was a, was a guy that I like. Do, do you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about the, the, the one I wrote today with uh, yes. Robert Robert Manuel, the reliever yes. who got the, the nod for the early 2000s, right? Absolutely, Robert Manuel. I knew it. Oh, man, he was great. He, he, had, a, he had a really good season well, in, in he 2008. Did. <laughs> he did. No, that's not really what I'm talking about, obviously, and you know that. It's, uh you know, um, the best offensive year of the 2000-2009 decade, which, of course, is my man Adam Dunn. And I'm, I was glad to see you... Uh, write that and I'll let you talk a little bit more about it in a moment but I mean I remember at the time just thinking what in we've not I've not, not seen in my lifetime because obviously you know I didn't get to watch George Foster uh, smacking home runs so I, I've never seen anything like what we had there as he was just about to emerge in the big leagues and he wasn't the best player like you know he wasn't a, a, an elite prospect like Jay Bruce went coming through you know the, the number one overall prospect but man just in terms of sheer power uh, I, I was really mesmerized by this guy at a time when you know we had some big home run numbers, but Adam Dunn, I, I think you said in, in your piece, he was the number 33 overall prospect in baseball coming into that 2001 season. So that's that's pretty good, but he he hadn't played in higher than A ball. Is that right? Uh, that is correct. And that was such a weird time back then because at the time, uh, well, I guess 2001 was the first season for a couple of years where the Reds actually did have an advanced A baseball team. But Adam Dunn played two seasons in 99 and 2000 in low A baseball because the Reds didn't have a, an advanced A team. So he kind of repeated A ball in, in in one sense, but that was only because the Reds didn't really have an option other than skipping him up to double A as a 20-year-old, which they, they didn't want to do. So he he does get to double A as a 21-year-old, right? That's, he, did he start the yes. season in Chattanooga? Uh, yeah. Or, well, they, yeah, they were still Chattanooga back then, yeah. Yes. Um, and... Uh, was clearly ready at age 21 for uh, the Southern League, wasn't he? He, he was. Um, uh, it's it, it, you know he may have been ready for you know the major leagues. If we're gonna be if we're gonna be perfectly True. honest with yeah. it, for what he did that season, I mean, I mean, we'll just I'll just throw it out there. Overall, I mean, the guy hit 334 with a 444 on base percentage, and he slugged 671. <laughs> and you know his OPS in Double A was 112, and in Triple A it was 119. Like it. Or, I'm sorry, 1,112 and 1,119. <laughs> That's a little better, yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, he was just unbelievable at both levels. I mean, there, was, there wasn't there was a time where he went through any sort of slump whatsoever. And uh, so he got he got pushed up to AAA Louisville uh, before in the first half of the season still and just, again, 
<laughs> more of the same. I mean, it's crazy to look at his numbers at, at, at you know at age twenty one. Yeah, I mean, if, if you count every game that he played professionally that year, starting in Double A, going to Triple A in the majors, he played in the Futures game and he played in the Triple A All Star game. He hit fifty four home runs that season as a twenty one year old in one hundred and sixty two games, and really forced his way. You're right. I think that you know probably in their plans. I mean, obviously they'd kept him two years in, in A ball for a reason, but uh, in their mind they thought, well, double A this year, we'll move him to triple A next year, and instead he he forces his way to the major leagues and doesn't leave for you know another like twenty years, however long he how long ever long he played. Yeah, I mean the the Baseball America scouting report on him uh, after that t- 2001 season, uh, you know they noted in the Southern League write up that the Reds' plan was to keep him in double A all year. Like you know he's 21 years old. And he was a very good prospect, but you know he's 21 years old. You keep him in Double A all year, and he performs well. That's that's better than you expect out of someone. Uh, well, yeah, as as we found out, he he changed those plans before the end of May. It was in Triple A. So uh, you know, you mentioned earlier the whole you know he wasn't quite the Jay Bruce prospect, and I don't know if he was or wasn't really the Jay Bruce caliber prospect. We never really got to find out because. You know, going into the season was the last time he was prospect list eligible. Uh-huh. Uh, he was never really given the opportunity to be voted on or judged as you know a, a better prospect than that because he was in the major leagues before the year was over. Yeah, if he stays that whole season in uh, in Double A, he's probably a top five prospect or something at the end of that and, year. And I mean, you know, for anybody who doesn't remember early years, Adam Dunn, he he wasn't the big slow guy that we saw towards the middle and end of his career. You know, he was, I mean, he's a big guy, he's six foot six, probably 240 uh, as a rookie, but he he could run when he was young. He was athletic still when he was young. He's a very different player than, you know, maybe some of the listeners or viewers, I should say, uh, may remember. Well, think about him. You know, he was he got a scholarship to play uh, quarterback for the University of Texas. Now, we're not talking about, you know, Podunk University. We're no, talking about, no I, I remember when they were good at football. <laughs> right. At one time, it's hard to believe now, I guess. No, they were they were good, and uh, I think he backed up Major Applewhite there at the time, if I, if I remember correctly. But he was that a legit, sounds right. yeah, legit D one, you know, power conference quarterback. And you know, those guys aren't necessarily uh, Deion Sanders in terms of speed, but you've got to be athletic to play quarterback at Texas. You, you know, you can't just be, um, you know, Adam Dunn from his later years, uh, which people remember. I, I, you know, I love Adam Dunn. I always loved him. I think he's only become my favorite, like all time favorite player in the conversation with Larkin in the last uh, you know, few years, just because every time his name gets mentioned, people just yell at me about how much they yeah. hated Adam Dunn. People are weird, Chad. And, <laughs> I, and I, I get it for anybody who's listening saying, really, Doug, you're saying that. I get it. I'm weird, too. <laughs> but people are weird, Chad. Yeah, so go Dunner. All right. Um, there is one other sort of current baseball slash minor league topic I want to get into you uh, with you in just a, a moment. When we get into some viewer mail, we had a question about the you know minor league baseball agreement uh, and, and what's going on with all that. So I'll I'll, lead, I'll give you that to you in a moment. But first, I want to discuss something that we talked about on la- on our last podcast. And those of you that are loyal listeners to the podcast, loyal viewers of the podcast, you'll know that we did. Uh, Jason Linden and I did a draft, and we drafted out full squads of post big red machines. Big Red Machine players. And uh, clearly, I thought my team was superior. I, I knew we couldn't play any defense, but I knew we were going to mash. And uh, Jason, you know, he does what he does. He, he talks and uh, tried to claim his team was better. And so we finally figured out a way to play it out. And we're four games into that series. Have you been following that series on uh, the Twitters? I, I really have. It's been It's been fun. Uh, even though I, I definitely sympathize with Jason, but we'll get into that a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I thought quickly. Uh, hopefully, I will get Jason on next week after we finish this series. Although it's it's almost over, but we are four games in, and I'll just quickly. We're not going to belabor too many of these, but I want to go ahead and tell you what's happened. If you weren't following it on Twitter uh, or in our uh, Red Lake Nation Radio Slack channel, where we've been talking about it, let me tell you how it, how it went. Game one of the season. Let me just. I've got it pulled up right here. Oh man, it was an r- incredible pitching matchup. Jose Rijo was was for me and Johnny Cueto for Jason, and uh, so I thought, oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be a really good good game, you know. Two of the better pitchers, really probably the two best pitchers, I guess, since the Big Red Machine, and maybe even longer than that. Although some other names are gonna, you know, have a have a something to say about that, I guess. But 
you know, for your for my money, they're in the conversation for the two best probably since 1950 for the Reds, wouldn't you think? I'm having problems figuring out anybody that's got a better career. I mean, there were probably a few guys along the way who could match a season or two, but not not what those guys both did for their careers as Cincinnati Reds now. Well, you know, in the first inning uh, of the game, Cueto uh, looked pretty good. He got uh, Larkin, Casey, Sean Casey, and uh, Kevin Mitchell out one, two, three. So that's you know that's not bad. But I mean, then, that's that's basically what Pedro did in the '99 All Star game, right? <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Exactly. Um, bottom half, Rio comes in and issues a base on balls to start to Bip Roberts to start the game. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Now let me let me explain how I simmed these. Um, I basically put the two. We're using out of the park baseball. Are you familiar with out of the park baseball, Doug? Yes. It's a it's a really in depth simulation type game for people that want to like be a GM of their team. You can do it, but it's also got a, a good historical a way to historic do historical sims. And so I was allowed to put together two teams essentially, and I'm just playing them. And so I set both teams to let the computer, the game actually, the, the AI within the game control both teams. So I wasn't making any decisions on these games other than just putting in the, the starting lineups that J- Jason and I selected and the uh, rotations and bullpens and benches. Just, just plugged them in and let it go. I, I For some reason, following on Twitter, I, I feel like Jason doesn't believe you. <laughs> Jason doesn't <laughs> believe me. And we'll get to the reason why uh, in just one moment. Uh, so, so, so Riho, and we're not going to go any by any here, obviously, but I want to set the stage here. Uh, Riho, based on balls, gets Joey Votto to uh, fly out second, and then Eric Davis grounds into a double play, 6-4-3. So exit velocity was 105.6 miles per hour on that uh, ground ball to shortstop. It's a very detailed game. Mm-hmm. So we go to the top of the second, 0-0, zero to zero, and, you know, I don't know if these teams are... I mean, I felt like my team was better, but I felt like they were probably co- close. And the one way I could get accused of cheating would be for who to hit the home run to give me the lead in the first game. Who hit the home run? Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn. First pitch to Adam Dunn. He t- turned Johnny Cueto around. Only 92.5 miles per hour uh, exit velocity. But it goes 401 feet because he's Adam Dunn. So all he's, got of, that, he's, got the, he's got that big guy strength. Oh, man. So the... Calls that I'm cheating start coming immediately as we're broadcasting this out on Twitter. Come on. It's, it's not me. It's just the fact that I picked a better team than Jason. I so. mean, that, that's one argument. Uh, that is the argument. King Griffey Jr. flies out. Chris Sebo flies out. But with t- two outs, my guy Brandon Phillips singles up the middle. Jason LaRue, noted slugger Jason LaRue in his first at bat of the series, two-run home run. <laughs> Three to nothing, Chad's. Oh. I'm sorry, Jason. I'm sorry. You're not really. You're not I'm, really. I'm really not. It's, it's, it's fake baseball. It's fake baseball. And so ultimately what happens here is, uh, let's see, uh, trying to find the next, uh, well, there you go. Barry Larkin scores. Uh, Jose Rio scores. What ends up happening essentially is that I win the game. I score two more in the fifth, one in the ninth, and my team wins. Uh, not, six to nothing. Excuse me, six to nothing. Six runs on thirteen hits for my team. Blowout. It was a blowout. Riho pitches a four-hit shutout. I mean, come on, Jason. You could have picked Riho. That's 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 what he'd have been my number one pick. With all due respect to Johnny Cueto, he'd have been the first pitcher I'd take. Well, he was the first pitcher I took, but but uh, there was a Jason took. Uh, we both took position players first. Well, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. You're going to get more out of them in a, in a short series, probably. Right, right, right. So I, it wasn't uh, J- Jason picking Joey Votto instead of Jose Rio with the number two overall pick. Although then he picked Eric Davis third, so he went with two position players, and that's when I grabbed Rio at fourth. So anyway, he pitched well. Um, he was the number one star of the game, according to this. Brandon Phillips was three for four, two runs scored, and Adam Dunn, two for four, home run, two RBIs. So yeah, pretty good, huh? It'd be fun to watch, <laughs> I guess. But it got a little crazier. Okay, it got crazier in the in the second game. Uh, this was going to be Luis Castillo was starting for Jason, and Mario Soto started for me. And essentially, Jason. I, I mean, I scored in the first. I scored a run in the first. Barry Larkin hit a leadoff home run, but then Jason took control. He scored one in the second, one in the fourth, one in the fifth, one in the sixth. And so we're going to the top of the ninth. And I'm down four to one at that time. And things are looking pretty bleak. J- 
Jason brings in his closer, Rob Dibble. He was pretty good. He was good. He was good. He gave up three hits and four runs and didn't uh, get a batter out. So he he wasn't good on, on this day. He was not. Scott Williamson then relieves him. Scott Williamson gives up three hits and three runs and does, does not get a batter out. By the time John Franco comes in and, and ends it, it's uh, I've scored nine runs in the uh, top of the night or eight runs in the top of the night to go up nine to four. That's how ultimately won. But the big one was when it was four to one. The first three hitters got on, and then Mike Cameron came up to pinch hit. You remember Mike Cameron? I do. Of course, I unfortunately remember Mike Cameron more as a not red than a red. But yes, I remember Mike Cameron. Yeah, I took him from my bench because man, that one year he was with the Reds, he was really good. He was. He I really mean, was. Yeah. I remember him fondly, and he had a grand slam to give me the lead. It was it was great. So that's when the calls for, about me cheating really started to come hot and heavy because I, I scored eight runs on the top of the ninth. I let Jason get really close to it and then pulled it away from him. Now, Doug, do you think I'm cheating? I, I have faith that you're, you're being honest with this one. <laughs> well, I definitely am. Uh, so much so that uh, I found myself after that kind of rooting for Jason a little bit, so I quit hearing the calls about me cheating. But then I think Jason cheated in Game 3. Now, who, is our, who are our starters in Game 3? I think it was uh, Jason had Bronson Arroyo go, going. No, no, that was the last game, game 4. Jason had Sonny Gray. And I had uh, Danny Jackson, 1988 Danny Jackson. Ooh. Now, did you, did you get first half Danny Jackson or second half Danny Jackson? Full season Danny Jackson. Mm. The, way we, the way we picked these... I mean, we picked our teams, and we really didn't have a sense of whether we were choosing for career player or for a single, you know, peak performance. But the way I had to put the players on them on the roster was I basically had to pick their best year. And so I picked literally 1988 Danny Jackson for Sonny Gray. I could only pick 2019 because that's his only year with the Reds. So it had to be their best year with the Reds. Uh, Jason gave me some of his thoughts on. There were a couple that he didn't want, one or two, that he didn't want the peak year. He wanted a different one. Like Joey Votto, he wanted uh, 2000, let's see, what, 2012 Joey Votto, which is not his highest war season, but uh, you remember how good he was before he got hurt, right? Yes. So, anyway. Um, he was so, on pace for 912 doubles that year, right? Um, again, I think you're being a little bit conservative with your estimate. I'm not good at math. <laughs> Evidently. So, I'm up two games to none, and I'm rolling here. I jump out in the first inning of game three and score four runs. Barry Larkin, another leadoff home run and uh, score four runs. In the next inning, Barry Larkin comes up again and hits another home run. I'm up five to nothing in the middle of the second inning. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and here's where I started kind of rooting for Jason a little bit. I was like, oh, this really looks bad. I mean, I, I like Jason. I don't want to... I, mean, I know my team's better, but I don't want to destroy him. So this would have been a really fun game uh, to be at. Essentially what happens is Jason scores three in the seventh, two in the eighth, one in the ninth, and uh, he wins. Six to five. Cal Daniels hit a walk-off single to win the to win the game. Cal Daniels could hit. Yeah, yeah. The comeback was started, but gosh, couldn't Cal Daniels hit? My goodness. Yeah, he got peak Cal Daniels, Jason did, who ended up being good. Ryan Friel hit a three-run home run, actually, to uh, get Jason back within two runs. And then Cozy, that gets you. That gets you back for your your Jason Larue home run. So <laughs> that's true. We got a Ryan for, and then the, another big hit that actually gave him the the lead or no tied the game was a Zach Cozart with a two run double. So he gets an awful start from uh, Sonny Gray, anything in two thirds, six hits, five earned runs, and I got a decent start, a quality start from Danny Jackson, but uh, Jeff Shaw and Araldus Chapman blew it for me. So, oh, I forgot to mention, you know who got the win in game one for me? Who's that? John Kutlangas. Mm. I remember John. You remember John Kutlangas? I do. I, I, I feel like I typed that name about 100 times over a two-year stretch, and every time I had to check it to make sure I was spelling it correctly. Don't, don't, don't want your autocorrect to mess up on that one. I'm not even sure autocorrect existed back then. Yeah. And that, wasn't even, that wasn't even that long ago. That, I feel like that was only a decade ago. Um. When Coot Langus, uh, he, he didn't actually get the win, but he did appear and finish out the game in that first. He didn't get the win. I take that back. But uh, he, he asked on Twitter, who did I strike? He struck out two batters that inning. He struck out uh, Jay Bruce and... Uh, and, and, what, and what did he say about Jay Bruce striking out? <laughs> I feel it, like he said it's pretty easy, right? Yeah, he said no sweat or something like that. Yeah, striking out Jay Bruce. Big deal. Anybody can do that. Which is true. Jay Bruce struck out a lot. So, 
But uh, so anyway, Jason comes back and uh, gets the walk off and cuts it to two games to one now. So I'm up th- I'm up two games to one coming into game four. And here's where we Jason had Bronson Arroyo and I had um, my guy Aaron Harang. So teammates facing each other. Now, who do you take in the peak Aaron Harang versus peak Bronson Arroyo? Who would you, who would you take? I'm taking Aaron Harang. All, all due respect to Bronson Arroyo, who was very good. Aaron Harang was my guy. Yeah, Arroyo may have been my favorite player at that time on the Reds, and I, and he was really good. And I look forward to seeing him getting inducted into the Reds Hall of Fame at some point. But yeah, Harang had an argument to be the best pitcher in the National League for you know about an 18 month period, basically. So Jason jumps out to a three to nothing lead after uh, after two innings. Then in the fifth, Eric Davis hits a two run home run. I end up scoring three to tie the game. And then I score. No, I said that completely the wrong way. Um, no, no, no. You hit the home run. <laughs> yes. I, I scored three in the first two innings. All right. I had uh, Tucker Barnhart, Brandon Phillips, and Barry Larkin doubled in the first two innings and uh, ultimately came out with three runs. So I'm up three to nothing on my way to going up three to one. And then Jason comes back. He uh, scores three in the fifth on uh, Eric Davis's two-run home run was, was two of those three versus Aaron Harang. And then in the seventh, he scores two more. And so now he's up five to three as we go to the ninth. And in the bottom of the ninth, King Griffey Jr. with a two-run triple off John Franco to tie the game in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. It's amazing. My team is unstoppable. It seems that way. So they go to extra innings, and uh, in the top of the 11th, oh, man, Joey Votto, two-run single versus my guy John, John Kutlangas. John Kutlangas. Stupid Canada. <laughs> exactly. Votto. But then in the bottom half, I score one, and then King Griffey Jr., a two-run walk-off bomb versus Scott Sullivan. So John Kutlangas gets the win in game four. Scott Sullivan with the loss. King, King Griffey Jr. was good. King Griffey was Jr. Good. was good. So anyway, that's, uh, again, we've probably belabored that point way too much, but I'm up three games to one. I, maybe tomorrow sometime, I don't know, I'm going to sim game five, because I assume I'll win game five, and the uh, series will be over. So, so you're, you're at this point, you agree that my team is by far the best, right? I mean, how many Hall of Famers does your team have? All of the Hall of Famers. And how many does Jason's team have? Zero of the current Hall of Famers. I mean, I'm I'm not a doctor, but one of those feels a little bit better than the other. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, of course, there's only one Hall of Famer. That's Barry Larkin. But all right, so uh, uh, what, uh, what? What? There's only one Hall of Famer. Are you sure? Who hit a Who hit a walk off home run for you in in Game Four? <laughs> oh my goodness! I've got two Hall of Famers. Chad, did, what, what are did, you doing, man? What are you doing? Did King Griffey Jr. make the Hall of Fame? Was he yeah. good enough to make the Hall of Fame? I feel like he kind of might, might have gotten ignored by the writers. I get ignored by a few of them. Well, yeah, which is ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. And he's got, uh, Jason has, of course, Joey Votto, who I believe will be in the Hall of Fame. Although missing part of this season is not going to help his counting numbers. Uh, I agree. I, I, who was it? Somebody at Fangraphs actually wrote about that. That it maybe missing this season if they don't play at all could be one of those things that kind of puts Joey Votto on that counting stats threshold because yeah because he, he has walked so much he's not gonna, he's not racking up hits like your typical Hall of Famer now personally I I have faith that the uh, the writers in you know let's say you know fourteen years or so from now they'll understand what was going on and how important all of those walks were versus you know just racking up a few extra hits here or there. Uh, that he'll still get in. But I guess we're all going to have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, I think the Hall of Fame voters are getting uh, every year a little bit more, a little bit smarter, a little bit more uh, informed. So, and, and I think it also helps out that they kind of, uh, I guess, they're eliminating voters who haven't covered baseball in a certain amount of time, too. So you have less of the the old crew who you know, hasn't covered baseball in 25 years, still voting on these things that uh, may not exactly be on top of modern statistics. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, all right. One more quick thing before we get into a uh, viewer mail, few, few viewer mail questions, but uh, 
you know, I've enjoyed simming this series against uh, Jason, mostly because I've been beating uh, the pants off him. And um, so I've been thinking about what can, can I, is there another kind of simulation I could do in this game, which is a fantastic game, out of the park. Um, you can set up a tournament between like historic teams. And I thought, well, why don't I set up like an eight team tournament of the best eight teams in Reds history and, uh, you know, just see how bad the 75 Reds beat everybody else. So, or the, you know, 2004 Reds. No, they're not going to make the final eight. I, I, that would be, that'd be a bloodbath for that 2004 Reds team. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we should put one of those teams in just so that Adam Dunn can be in this tournament. Yeah, I like the way you think. So my thoughts were, if we're going to pick eight teams, for example, that's just a random number, let's take the five teams that won a championship for the Reds and supplement with three others. Um, if you had to pick uh, one of those other three, who who do you think would be your, your top choices, maybe the best Reds team other than the ones that won championships? You know, my, my heart says 99 but my brain says 94. Yeah. With me, it was, I wanted to say 95. I can go with that. Um, but that 94 team, I think was probably a slightly better team <laughs> than the uh, 95 team. If you just look at uh, the actual numbers, run differential thing, like things like that. If you go by Pythagorean one loss percentage and go look that up, if you don't know what it is, but uh, it surprised me if you're just looking from 1900 on, the top four teams by Pythagorean one-loss percentage, by what their you know record should have been based on the runs scored and runs against, it, it amazed me. Nineteen nineteen, nineteen seventy-five, nineteen seventy-six, and nineteen forty. And what do those teams have in common? They won. They won World Series. Yeah, I mean it's uh, the only team that was not in there that uh, won a World Series for the Reds. Obviously, was nineteen ninety, and they're way down the list on Pythagorean. They're actually barely ahead of the 2010 Reds, who were who were good, but we wouldn't consider among the best teams. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's going to sound weird, but, you know, the 90 team only won 91 games. I mean, that, that's, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. That'll win you a division most years, but it's not like they went out and were just dominating everybody all year and won, you know, 100 games like, you know, the, the big Red Machine teams were doing. Um, I mean, heck, even, you know, the 2012 Reds, what, what did they win, 97 games that year? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, it, there, there was a big difference between 97, 98, 99 wins and 91 wins. So so you would add 94. If we're going to do this, you would add 94 be your, your selection. I think so, yeah. Would you yell at me if I picked 95? I would not. Um, what about 2012? You just mentioned that, that them. Uh, would you put them in this conversation? Uh, I, mean, I, I, I think they have to be in the conversation at least, right? Well, they're in the conversation, I mean, but let me let me just say one thing I should have said before is I'm trying to eliminate any other big red machine teams. We've already got the two, so let's let's yeah, spread it so, out. A you know, bit. I mean, I don't think anybody would really argue if you you know said that you know three of the four you know big red machine teams deserve to be in here. I right. mean, you know, they they won two World Series. They were in a couple more. I mean, they they're very good. Obviously, they're they're called the big red machine. I mean, they're you don't get a nickname. For being mediocre. Yeah, you know, the, you look at the this, uh, like I said, by Pythagorean one loss, and the 1970 Reds, 1972, 1973, 74, are all right up there with the 75, 76 teams. I mean, so they were they were pretty good. Uh, is there any other teams that jump out to you? I mean, yeah, I think about the other teams that, you know, they, they went to the World Series and lost. You know, you've got the, the 39 Reds, uh, the 60 Reds, but... You know, th those were well before my time, uh, and I, I, I don't have the, the same kind of memories I do with, you know, the mid-90s Reds, the late-90s Reds, that 2012 team. Yeah, you know, maybe the best way to do it would be maybe go 2012 and 2000, uh, or excuse me, 2012 and say 99, just because that spaces it out a little bit from, from uh, 1990, whereas 94, 95 are still relatively close to, and had some of the same parts as 1990. Not a ton, but some. And then maybe go for, you know, 39, obviously they lost in the World Series, but they won the next year. So we're taking 1940, maybe we go with like 61, where they lost to the Yankees in the World Series. Something like that. I don't know. Just trying to think of something fun to do. So, uh, I don't know. I just want them to play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I just want them to play baseball. Let's answer some questions, shall we? 
We shall. All right. Before we get into our questions here, uh, and the first set of questions will come from our friends at patreon.com slash redlegradio, patreon.com slash redlegradio, where you too can support the podcast. First, I got to give a big thank you to my guy, Rich Brown, new, uh, new patron, new supporter of the of the pirate ship uh, on uh, patreon.com. Really appreciate your support, Rich. Now, as is our custom, Doug, every time we get a new supporter, we have to give him a position on the field. Rich Brown. Rich Brown. I feel like he's a manager, actually. Uh, I was going to go a different direction than Let's that. But, uh, but I, I, when I think Rich Brown, I think of like a, a 1940s relief pitcher who's got an awesome mustache. But he keeps a little bit of like Vaseline at the end of that mustache, and he's got a really, really fantastic breaking ball. Oh yes, and he's one of these, you know, uh, Hoyt Wilhelm type relievers that pitches, you know, a ton of innings. Oh man, and I love the idea of the mustache and just a little, little something there, a little something extra, get a little hop on his pitches. Yes, Rich Brown is a relief pitcher, a very good relief pitcher from 1942. I love it. All right, Rich, thank you so much and uh, for supporting us, and I want to thank all of our. Uh, patrons that even during this time with no baseball and uh, we're continuing to gain uh, supporters and, and nobody's checking out on us. And I just really appreciate everybody. We have really fun conversations on our Slack channel. And uh, anyway, thank you all. Let's get to our questions. Now the first comes from, I, I, I really dreaded saying this, but the first question, our viewer mail comes from Joe Farsing. Joe Farsing, who often has farcical questions for the podcast, favorite musician for the quarantine Rubella Fitzgerald, Syphilis, Syphilis Collins, or Yoko Mono? I'm going to let you go first. Chad. Yeah, I'm going to go with Syphilis Collins. Is there a reason for that? Well, I mean, you know, uh, Phil Collins was a drummer, and he was uh, he was in Genesis, and that's really no. Neither of those are reasons to pick him, but. Yoko Mono broke up the Beatles, so I'm not going to go with her. Fair enough. You taking one of those? Or you're just going to let us go on to it. I'm just going to let it go on. Yeah. I, I'm I'm sorry, Joe. I got I got nothing here. That's a good one, Joe. All right, Rich Thompson. Rich Thompson asks. As uh, a typical Rich Thompson, I'm a big fan of Rich Thompson, by the way. But he typically has uh, some wordy questions that pose a uh, a scenario for us. So here's the here's the scenario. You're walking the banks of the Ohio River near Great American Ballpark where you discover an old and crusty bottle. Rich is a novelist. Uh, he wants to be a novelist, clearly. I love it. Naturally, you're curious to see what's inside, so you decide to pop its top to take a peek. When you do, a puff of red smoke bellows out of it, and a genie appears. No, it's not a genie like from like from I Dream of Genie. Oh, that's unfortunate. But it's a yeah, genie it more like the dugout wizard from the baseball bunch. Wasn't that Tommy Lasorda? Ugh. Worst genie ever. <laughs> So, the genie says this to you. Thank you for releasing me from bottles. Reward. I'm going to give you a perfect moment in time. I can tell you love baseball and the Reds. Therefore, for your perfect moment in time, I'm going to bestow upon you the hitting ability of any Reds player of your choosing for one at bat against any pitcher of your choice in the history of Major League Baseball to test your prowess. So, Rich, which Reds hitting ability do you choose and which pitcher do you want to face for your perfect moment in time? So, the pitcher doesn't have to be a Red. But which hitter in Reds history would you choose for your one at bat? If you could be that person for one at bat. Do you want to go first or can I go first? Uh, go ahead. All right. I'm going to cheat, Rich, and I'm sorry, but he was a Red. I want to be King Griffey Jr., but when he wasn't a Red. I want to be, I want to be 1995 King Griffey Jr. against 1995 David Cohn. Oh, interesting. David Cohn. You pulled that one out, Doug Gray. Uh, there's a very specific moment between those two in the 1995 playoffs. That I'm just imagining, and it was wonderful, and it was glorious. I want I want to be that version of King Kirby Jr. on that very specific day. I like it. Now there are a few that I was thinking about. Number one was uh, Adam Dunn. Obviously, we already talked about him. Uh, I thought about like Joe Morgan, maybe uh, Frank Robinson. You know, seemed like a that'd be a great one. Those would be good picks. Yeah, all good picks. Uh, instead, here's where here's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go with 1983 Raphael Landestoy. Cincinnati Reds bench warmer Raphael Landestoy. That's a different direction. Oh, man, he's great. Look at his baseball card. He looked like he just drank about 10 Schlitz, as we've already discussed. Uh, we were, This quarantine's really got in. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, 
I'm going to take Raphael Landestoy, and the pitcher it's going to be against is going to be Satchel Page. Not because I want to hit against Satchel Page, but man, I would love to have seen Satchel Page pitch. I mean, I, I definitely understand Satchel Page in this in this scenario. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go sure, with. I'm not I, sure about your hitter. Yeah, I'm going to go with Joe Morgan. Okay. Yeah, I I'll be, I'll be honest. Joe Morgan was up there, and the other guy that I was thinking was another unique batting stance kind of guy, Eric Davis. Mm. Just I the the yeah. quickness and the ferocity of his swing is just oh, I love it. Eighty-seven, Eric Davis. Oh, That'd, yeah. be fun. That'd be fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I probably would have taken Dunn, just left-handed hitter against the right-hander page, but Satchel Page is striking Adam. Dunn. I love Adam Dunn, but he's striking Adam Dunn out. <laughs> I mean, he just is. One time out of you know ten or fifteen, Dunn may get hold of one. I mean, maybe, maybe if you went with like fifty-eight-year-old Satchel Page <laughs> rather than you know prime Satchel Page, uh, then Adam Dunn would have a better chance, but. Yeah, you're probably right. I think 58-year-old Satchel Page is probably better than 95% of pitchers that have ever pitched in the big leagues. So I don't know. All right, Nathan Connor has a question for you, uh, specifically you, Doug. He mentions Doug. Now, Nathan, what's the deal? Where's the loyalty, man? Why are you asking Doug a question, not me? After all I've done for you, Nathan Connor. He knows what's good for him. He does. He's a smart guy. Nathan asks, Doug, I'm looking forward to hearing you discuss the minor league baseball agreement news. Certainly a disappointment for lots of reasons. As a Florida resident, I hate to see the Reds lose all affiliations with Florida baseball. Losing Daytona stinks for me. Do you see any options for them to maintain a presence in the state? You want to kind of unpack that a little bit, Doug? Okay, so uh, as you've probably heard in the past, uh, Major League Baseball wants to eliminate some minor league baseball teams moving forward. Um, the, The original leaked story was that they wanted to go from 160 teams down to 120 teams basically getting rid of all rookie ball that isn't played at the spring training complexes for each team um that means that the reds would lose the greenville reds and the billings mustangs Uh, but unfortunately for the reds two other teams in their farm system were on that list uh the daytona tortugas and the chattanooga lookouts now those teams would be replaced by other minor league teams but they would they would lose out on having the ability to even choose those teams. Um, it came out earlier this week that uh, basically minor league baseball was going to agree to going from 160 to 120. Um, shortly thereafter, there was kind of a bit of a backtrack that, you know, they didn't technically agree to that yet. Um, we'll see. I, I think at this point it, it's, it's going to happen. Um, but there was an interesting wrinkle from the Associated Press that – if a team, say like a major league team, for example, wanted to keep an additional farm system team, that as long as the two sides were able to agree on, you know, facility upgrades, uh, that if they wanted to, they could do that. So in theory, the Reds could keep a team like the Daytona Tortugas around. Um, it would have to be a separate kind of approval process. But yes, it, it, it technically could be possible based on the the rumors we're hearing now. Nothing is final at this point. Um, even even the list of teams that are quote unquote on the chopping block is still kind of up in the air. Since we first saw the list of teams, uh, apparently there has been some changes. JJ Cooper of Baseball America has talked about that, uh, but we haven't seen a new list in which teams may have been you know added to the list and which teams are now off of the list. We we don't know that. Um, I, I, I do. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, let me let me just add, add that this is kind of a fluid situation, but I want to go ahead and Rich Brown had a question that also kind of touches on this. So let me just let you add that in as you as you finish your thoughts. Rich Brown, twirling his mustache in the bullpen, <laughs> asks this question. Do you think the Reds got hit a little harder on the minor league baseball teams that are getting cut? Initial list had us losing both Daytona and Chattanooga. Why would we lose our A and AA teams? I especially think the lookouts loss would stink. And, and, and I agree that would stink if that's where we end up. I don't know that we will, but... Do you think the Reds got hit a little harder, or is it just still too fluid to uh, to say that just yet? I, I don't think that it really matters in the sense of how it affects the Reds versus the Cubs, because they're, they're, the Reds are still going to have a single A, an advanced A, a double A, and a triple A team. They just may not be the current teams that they have now. Um, what part of the plan is, is that they want to cut down on travel. So we're probably going to see... The remaining teams that do still exist, the 120 or whatever it's going to be, uh, the leagues that they're in now, they may not exist anymore. You know, the, the Southern League may still be the Southern League, but it, it won't have you know, the same number. It won't have 14 teams. It may be a 10-team league, and they may add a third 
double a team or a league and have 10 teams in that league and then 10 teams in the texas league um they, they, they really do want to cut down on the amount of travel these teams are doing. So the, the, the idea is that they're going to have more leagues that are a little bit smaller than the ones they have now. Um, and so I, I think that there's going to be a massive restructuring of which of the remaining teams are in which leagues. And even some teams may be changing levels that they're at, um, depending on how these leagues work out. You know, a team that's in double A right now may move down to, to single A. A team that's in double A may move up to triple A, depending on how things play out. Um, so I, I think that we're going to see a massive change in how all of minor league baseball works. Um, now, the Reds did get hit a little bit hard in the sense that four of their affiliates are on the or were on the original list, and I think that was the most for any team. Uh, but I, I don't really think that it matters too much in the grand scheme of things as far as how it affects the the Cincinnati Reds. It just affects fans that you know could go visit the Chattanooga Lookouts to see the Reds, or the Daytona Tortugas to see the Reds, or you know Billings or or Greenville. Yeah, it's you know uh, again, it's st- still nothing uh, setting stone just yet. But and I hate the, even the idea of it because I hate the idea of you know I, I grew up in an area that uh, where the Appalachian League has been around forever, and those places are, are just not gonna have teams. I mean, um, at least uh, the vast majority of them. I haven't seen all the the latest projections, but I presume that in every one of those little towns. And I hate it because it's always been fun to have professional teams in those towns. But frankly, I think I would probably tr- agree somewhat with uh, Joe Farsing, who had another question. Doug, a lot of questions for you on minor league baseball here today. Well, I, it, it is what I do, Chad. That's so true. I guess I guess that does make sense. Exactly. They knew your expertise was coming. So uh, piggybacking on uh, those, these questions, Joe Farsing asks, I see the contraction of minor league teams as a necessary thing. Six rosters full of players vying for the majors seems incredibly bloated and inefficient. I live here in Cincinnati, so I don't have a romantic view or experience the small town appeal or charm, short of going to a few, a few Florence Freedom, now y'all's, games. I know there are a lot of moving parts to pull everything off, but to me, this is a no-brainer. And Joe's question is, do you have thoughts on the greater implications? And I'll let you say if there's anything you want about that, Doug. But for me, I just think it's an incredibly inefficient – I don't like it at all, but I think it's an inc- incredibly inefficient system. And I think if if – any league we're starting today and trying to decide the best way to develop players, I can't believe that they would set up a system with these far-flung teams all over the place. I mean, I, I see I see the argument for it being a kind of a bloated, inefficient uh, thing, as Joe puts it, but I still just I don't like it. So any, anything else you want to say about that, Doug? Yeah, I, I think you, you can make the argument for both sides. And, I, I mean, there, there are major league teams that are making the argument on both sides. Uh, you know, some teams like Houston Astros think that there are far too many teams in their in their farm system chain. On the flip side, you've got teams like the Yankees and Reds who, in in recent years, have gone out and tried to add more teams. They they see it as the, the more players you've got, the better your chances are of finding guys. Whereas you know, a team like the Astros would rather you know quote unquote focus on the guys that they do have and you know give those guys a little bit extra attention. Uh, I, I personally, I can see both sides of it. Uh, for me. I think that I'd rather take more chances. That I'd rather have 275 chances than 175 chances. Um, but that that's just me. I, I think that you know having the the opportunity to you know every few years have that guy that never would be in a, you know a farm system of 175 players you know break out and be able to get something out of a player like that. I, I think there's value there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree necessarily with you at all, but I just uh, I don't know. The Branch Rickey, when he started the basically the, what we call the modern minor league system, uh, his his idea was quantity will equal quality. Let's get as many as we can, and and you know the cream will rise to the top, and we'll have more than everyone else. So I think I think that makes sense too. So I don't know what the answer is. One last uh, Patreon uh, viewer mail question comes from Hooper Powell, who just got it into us bef- under the wire. Hooper asks, "What do you think of starting September first in Arizona and playing eighty one games? Is it realistic? There's no guarantee that." NFL, NHL, and NBA will be having seasons in the fall and winter. Also, do you see in the next five years smaller markets being able to realistically compete with less fans in the stands? Well, I, has that been something that's even been suggested, starting September 1st and playing 81 games? I, I don't see that as being particularly realistic. I, I don't think that you could start that late and play that many games. I mean, it, 81 games in, in three months, I mean, that's that's a lot. And then you still have to play the playoffs. I think if they were going to start that late, they'd honestly do something like maybe 40 or 50 games. Right, so I was going to say 50 um, and then have even maybe even a shortened playoff. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think that that's probably a little bit too late of a date to play that many games. Um, I, I think that, you know, you probably have to start in early August if you're going to play that many games and then still have 
a, a general idea of a normal playoff situation, which I still I don't think we're going to get anything normal at all this year. But you know, short of doing a round robin kind of tournament uh, and only like thirty regular season games, uh, I, I I don't think that we could start that late. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, um, if if you told me that they only could start after September first, I might drop my prediction from one hundred percent down to ninety seven point two percent. Can I get the Can I get the math breakdown on that one? I was told there would be no math. Fair enough. Hooper also his other part was question. Do you see in the next five years smaller markets being able to realistically compete with fewer fans in the stands? And you know, I think if we, if it were five years like this, or five years of playing without fans in the stands, yeah, I think it's a real huge problem. I don't think there's any chance that's going to be the case. Um, frankly, over the next five years, I think people's memories are crazy short, and we're all going to forget. You got to wash your stupid hands. You don't need to be, you know, shaking hands and, you know, you don't need to be up on, even if it's just the regular flu that we're talking about, people should have been doing this stuff anyway. But I, I just, I think that we're going to, I think we're going to not, not completely, nothing's going to be the same again. I don't think during our lifetimes totally. And I don't know what the new normal is, but I don't see any ch- chance they're going to be playing sports with no fans in the stands uh, going forward. You know, I, they've, they've kind of addressed this a little bit. Um, and I shouldn't say it. They discussed it, um, and I, it hasn't been for you know the next five years, so to so to speak. But it, you know, one of the things is if they do play baseball games, that they would do more revenue sharing among the television contracts between teams when there's no fans in the stands, uh, because you know there are teams like the Dodgers that get over two hundred million dollars for their television contract per year, whereas you know some teams are still getting twenty five million dollars for their contracts. Yeah. So and so uh, the, the point is that they're not as dependent on game day revenue. Correct. Um, and, and so one of the discussions was that, you know, hey, maybe we're going to have to rework how we do revenue sharing because there are no fans in the stands to kind of distribute that money, which they, they've been doing forever. And they do redistribute the television money a little bit, uh, but it, it would be a, a, a much more, quote unquote, fair way to distribute the, the television money uh, among the local TV contracts if teams can't put, you know, anywhere from twenty to 40,000 fans in the seats every night. Uh, and I, th- I think that that would be something that if if we don't get fans back in, you know, the next couple of years in the, in the way that we have in the past, that, that that would be something they would explore because, you know, it, it is good to have all the teams in baseball being able to, to quote unquote, survive. Um, you know, if, if if teams start being able to or not being able to, you know, make payroll, that's a problem. Uh, and, and so I think that they would kind of all do, you know, as crazy as this sounds, doing something that's quote unquote good for everyone. Uh, they, they would do that yeah, at least, have, at least in the short term. So right. because it, yeah, again, it's, it's it's not going to work if you have to, you know, go from thirty teams to twenty two teams because you know the the Reds and the Brewers can't make payroll anymore because you know they've got eight thousand fans a night, but they've got contracts that they've been running, you know, for the last couple of years. Three more questions. We'll run th- through these kind of quickly. I think you're right, uh, Doug. That something would have to give on that. But let's get through these last three. These come from Twitter.com/slash/RedlegRadio. Our first question, viewer mail question, comes from. Dane Dameron. Dane Dameron, the head football coach of the University of Virginia's College at Wise. What do you think about that, Doug Gray? I believe you. (laughs) (laughs) He's a fine football coach, and I think he's trolling me here, Doug. Well, you know, I I like him a little bit more already. Yeah, his question is, if you had the choice to see Johnny Bench or Wayne Krenchicki play, who would you choose? Well, I mean, I I know who I'd choose, and I know who you'd choose. And they're not the same answer, so I'm going to take Johnny Bench. Well, I, I did choose Wayne Krenchicki, evidently. Of yes, course, you did. If you've listened to the podcast any amount of time, you know that story, how my very first game I went to see uh, Johnny Bench play in his final season, and he sat the bench in favor of my nemesis, Wayne Krenchicki. Now, um, Coach Dameron had some uh, interesting comments about Riverfront Stadium on Twitter the other day. Uh, Doug, how much time did you spend at Riverfront Stadium? Not as much as I would have liked to. Um, I Honestly, I had probably 20 games or so before – they 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 blew it up. Wasn't it glorious though? I feel like there's a lot of nostalgia there. Yeah, that's what uh, I, I'm not sure the glorious is the right word, but very nostalgic about it. That's what the coach and I were kind of talking about. You know, yeah, it was it was kind of a dump, but man, it was our dump. So, all right, Mike Petrie asks at I'm the NDP on uh, Twitter.com. Hash Brown viewer mail, seeing Larkin bat leadoff in the Red Leg Radio series that we just uh, recapped earlier, it led me to this question. Was Larkin the best potential leadoff hitter in Red's history who didn't really lead off very often? 
He batted number one in the lineup just fewer than uh, 20% of his plate appearances. So is Larkin the best potential leadoff hitter in Reds history who didn't really lead off very often? Of course, he led off uh, you know, for that 1990 team, so we remember him there, but he ended up batting middle of the order later in his career. But I don't think he's my answer for the best potential leadoff hitter in Reds history who didn't really lead off very often. My no, answer- I, go ahead. Go ahead. I was, gonna I say, was just going to say, oh my goodness. <laughs> Doug, Chad, you go. All right. Joey Votto. That's who I say. Joey Votto would have been the best leadoff hitter in Reds history. He's never really let off. He's got the best on base percentage of any player in Reds history. So that's my answer. What's yours? Well, you know, that, I mean, you make a, a good argument there. Um, I'm going to go in a probably slightly different direction. But I don't know exactly how accurate it is. So you, you can feel free to correct me here. But I'm looking at the stats right now, and Joe Morgan didn't bat leadoff nearly close to the majority of the time in his career. Yeah. And, I mean, Joe Morgan, I mean, he didn't quite get on base as much as Joey Votto, but it's pretty close. Almost, yeah. And, I mean, he's a guy who could run the bases really well, too. And, yeah. and, and in theory, that's what a lot of teams look for in, in a leadoff guy. So well, I'm going Joe Morgan. Similar to Larkin, you know, he ended up, Basically, in the, during those big red machine years, especially 75, 76, he was a middle of the order hitter. So, because um, he had all that power, he was just, he's just, uh, he was great. So, all right, one last uh, viewer mail question, then we'll get out of here. Doug Gray. This one comes from at Ono oh Coop. Oh you know, boy. You know Coop? Oh boy. Coop, the host of the Hunt for Reds October podcast. Shout Always, out Coop. Oh, yeah, shout out Coop. Always an adventure. Uh, Shout out to Unc Ram as well, I guess. Hash Brown viewer mail. Is it true that you can request trial by combat in Virginia? Now, I know you're not a legal expert, Doug, but I'm going to ask you to, do you, if you don't know the answer to that, I'm going to ask you to make a guess. Is it true that you can request trial by combat in Virginia? I hope that it's true, but I suspect that it's not. The answer is, it is true. You can request trial by combat in Virginia. How do you think I became a judge? Ooh. I'm going to guess that you became a judge by beating up a 47-year-old man who is definitely someone who would also beat up our friend Phil. Yeah, I killed a guy. Yeah, well, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. I straight murdered a guy to get this job, and they are going to remove me from the bench before the week <laughs> is up. All before right. The, before this even gets published, you are going to be gone. <laughs> I'm done, so enjoy it while it lasts. All right. Uh, this is a Red Leg Nation Radio episode number 320. That's all for tonight. We've gone longer than I thought we would, but uh, which is a good thing. We're talking dumb stuff, and it's always fun. Trying to give you a little bit of something, a little diversion, something to laugh at, something to enjoy during this crazy time in our world. Any final thoughts for us, Doug? I mean, not necessarily for me, but for most of our listeners, who I assume are also probably Bengals fans. Uh, let's hope they don't screw this draft up. Absolutely. Uh, you know how to subscribe to the podcast. I'm not going to tell you more about that. Go to Patreon and support us if you want to. You don't have to. This podcast is free, but we have a lot of other fun stuff over there, so you feel free to do that. Go to redlegnation.com and redsmileyleague.com every single day. And you all to pledge to me that you're going to go every single day, especially throughout this time. For Doug Gray and Joe Burrow, this is Chad Dotson saying, so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.